Welcome to today's episode, which will likely deal with some dark topics and sometimes sweary words, so listener discretion is always advised. For ad-free and bonus episodes, click in the link in the show notes for exclusive content. You can support the show at buymeacoffee.com or by giving me a rate, writing a review, or subscribing to future episodes. And with all my marketing blah 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 out of the way, on with the show. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. A Million Other Choices is a true crime podcast. And as such, we do discuss some dark topics that might be triggering for some. As you are a true crime listener, I support you in your curiosity. However, having lost a family member to homicide, my message is always to remember not just the victims, but the families and friends left behind, and also the officers, detectives, and prosecutors that work tirelessly for justice. There are links to make monetary donations in the show notes, but more importantly, if you enjoy the podcast, please tell your friends and press that fifth star on your listening platform to help me grow the show. I hope you enjoy the following episode. Before I start today's episode, I have a small correction to make. My initial research indicated that the handprint that I mentioned was found on a wall near the front exit of the house. There are a lot of conflicting reports on where in the house that handprint actually was, so I'm just going to correct that. The handprint itself definitely exists as I've seen photos of it, but where in the house it was exactly located has been debated. Hi, crime fans. Welcome again to A Million Other Choices. I'm your host, Kim. Today's story is my most requested. It is also the number one story that has kept me up at night other than Taylor's. When this story first broke, I was literally riveted to the news trying to learn everything I could about it. This is the murder of Alvin and Kathy Litness and little Nathan O'Brien, which you might know as the Douglas Garland case. So this one, Taylor's, and what really happened to John Bonet, those are kind of my signature cases. This one, it, it really broke my heart when it first had happened, and actually going over some of the details of this one, re-listening to the, especially the Amber Alert and that, just... I almost kind of got emotional about it again because it's just it's just such a sad story and it it happened to such a nice family and it's just a really sad one. And I was initially surprised that this story was requested because I happen to know this case inside and out like every detail of it. 
didn't even really need to look much up other than a few dates and some quotes. I, I think I could literally write an exam on this case if that was a thing. But I realized then that most of you probably aren't quite as obsessive as me and might not know all the details, hence why you wanted me to do it. And if you do know it, then you're probably like me and you just like to hear every podcaster's take on it. You read and listen to every coverage out there and you just need that one more. So I hope I do this one justice for you. And this will be a long episode, probably much longer than the ones you're used to for me. But I, I didn't want to do it in a two-parter because I, I hate when that happens. When you just want to know what, what happened, you don't want to wait another week for the rest of it. So just hit pause when you need to and come back to it. Sources for today are mostly from my own head and memory, but I did check the Canadian press for some facts. Got some quotes from CBC, Calgary. All of the audio clips are from the Calgary Police Service, and one is from the Calgary Herald, which was posted as a video on YouTube, but I've edited it for time. So here we go. Over the Canada long weekend in 2014, we celebrate Canada Day on July 1st here. And so this was the weekend of, I think the Sunday, the Sunday was the 29th, I believe here. Alvin, 66, and Kathy, 53, Lickness, held an estate sale at their Park Hill home in Southwest Calgary on the Friday, Saturday, and the Sunday of that weekend. The couple had recently bought a house in Edmonton and a winter condo in Mazatlan. They planned to clear some things out before moving and Alvin Lickness was a business entrepreneur and he had worked in the oil and gas industry. So they had just retired and they were looking forward to starting their retirement in Edmonton. The O'Brien family, which consisted of their daughter Jennifer and their son-in-law Rod and their three boys, Luke, Maximus and Nathan, who was five. Now, I believe Nathan is the oldest of that group, and I think it was Maximus that was just sort of an infant at that time, um, probably around nine months old. They came over to help out with the sale throughout that weekend. At around lunchtime on the Sunday, Alvin took the boys to a nearby park just to play and burn off some energy. Nathan and his grandparents had had a really close relationship, and Kathy and Alvin just loved spending time with the the grandkids as much as they could and the kids enjoyed doing it as well they they just reminded me of my own family with all my sister and my kids when they were little and how much they just love spending any time with their grandparents that they possibly could at 10 p.m on june 29th the estate sale is over and the o'brien family heads home but Jennifer leaves Nathan to sleep over because he just wanted one last sleepover with Grandma before they left. The following morning, around 10 a.m., Jennifer O'Brien returns to pick up Nathan and finds the front door is already open, which was unusual, and it, it made the hair stand up on Jennifer's arms because it just seemed somehow wrong. Once inside, she sees evidence that something horrible has taken place. There is blood everywhere, and, and so much blood that the air was actually thick with that metallic smell of drying blood. And her parents and little Nathan are nowhere to be found. Most of the blood was on the beds, the floors, and the walls, which I guess is pretty much everywhere. 
But the blood was not just in pools, but there were drag marks and footprints, as well as, heartbreakingly, this tiny handprint on the wall beside the front door, which appeared that a small child, probably Nathan, had grabbed the wall to brace himself while being dragged out of the house. Jennifer calls the police in a panic. She's hysterical and says, I think my family's been killed. And the police order her to stay in her car until the police could get there because they have no idea what's going on or if there's someone still in the house. Now, police were not sure if Nathan had witnessed violence in the house and was hiding, so they searched everywhere in the house, hoping that he was hiding somewhere. But they never did find him. And then they were hopeful that this was a kidnapping and Kathy and Alvin and little Nathan were at least still alive. In the house, they did not identify a single fingerprint or DNA sample that was not from a family member, which was a bit unusual seeing that they had held an estate sale with dozens of people filing in and out throughout the weekend, but it sounds like it was more like a garage sale where um, people went through the garage area and didn't actually come into the house to look at anything. They did find a bloody tooth, which they believed might have belonged to Alvin. On June 30th at 5.15 p.m., the police issue an Amber Alert for Nathan. This would turn out to be the longest-running Amber Alert in Alberta history. Jennifer and Rod O'Brien reach out to Nathan in a heartbreaking press release. I'll give you my name. It's Staff Sergeant Doug Andrus. Okay, if everyone's uh, ready, I'll get started. The Calgary Police Service continues to investigate the suspicious disappearance of three people and are seeking the public's help for information. Investigators are asking anyone who attended an estate sale at the residence in the 100 block of 38A Avenue Southwest over the weekend, June 28th and 29th, 2014, to come to the Park Hill Community Center tomorrow, Thursday, July 3rd, 2014. Investigators will be on hand between 10 a.m. and 10 p.m. to speak to anyone who attended the sale. Investigators are asking anyone who purchased an item at the sale to please bring a photo of that item to the community hall meeting. This will aid the investigation and investigators to determine what items were purchased during the sale compared to what remains in the home. Investigators are also able to clarify that the five-year-old Nathan O'Brien has brown eyes, not blue as earlier reported. Nathan's mom and his younger sibling had been at the residence assisting with the estate sale on Sunday afternoon. Nathan's mom left the residence with her youngest child around 10 p.m., leaving Nathan to have a sleepover with his grandparents. Nathan? <laughs> your mom and dad, Luke and Maximus, and your whole family loves you to every star and back. Nathan? You are our superhero right now. And we're going to bring you home very soon. To whoever has Nathan, please find it in your heart to drop off our little angel, Nathan, 
to which he can be rescued and reunited with his brothers and his family. To the public, our son and family could be anywhere right now. If you have any information, anything at all, please contact the police. We are over we are grateful for all the support from everyone we have received online, our family and friends. Nathan, we love you big. We will see you soon. I'm Nathan's mother, Jennifer O'Brien, and I'm the daughter of Elvin and Kathy Lickness. Um, this, I appreciate you guys being here because I need Nathan to hear our voices, and I really, I'm grateful for you guys to allow this to happen. And I just, Nathan, I need you to hear my voice right now, and I need you to know that mommy and daddy love you more than anything in this world, and. We can't be with you right now, but the best people that can be with you other than us is your grandparents. And I know that I know grandma's holding you so tightly right now and taking care of you and they are doing everything in their power to keep you safe. So I need you to know that stay strong, Nathan, stay strong. We know you are a superhero and I just need you to stay strong and we are going to see you. We're going to see you and we love you so much. On July 4th, police noticed from some security footage a green truck seen driving past the Lickness house about three times, and it doesn't belong to anyone in the area, and it was on the night of the family's disappearance. They asked for the public's help in identifying the truck that they say they want to speak to the driver, who they believe might have more information about their disappearances. The bed of the truck appeared to have a white sheet in the back. Now, Patty Garland, who's a common-law spouse of Alvin's son, Alan, so that's a little bit confusing here, but there is a family connection. So she is the common-law spouse of Alvin's son, Alan, which makes her Alvin's daughter-in-law. She called the police to let them know that the truck looked very similar to her 56-year-old brother Douglas's truck, which used to belong to her father. Now, it just so happened that at the time that the truck was seen on the news, she was staying at her parents' house where they had a farm in Airdrie because her and Alan had come to Airdrie because Alan's parents, being Kathy and Alvin, were missing. On July 5th, the RCMP tactical teams and the Calgary Police Service searched that property in Airdrie where Douglas Garland was living with his parents. Douglas is taken in for questioning and held for about 24 hours on a charge of identity theft, which was unrelated to to anything to do with Kathy and Alvin. They also seized the truck to be searched. And the police give an update of what they know so far. Thank you all uh, for taking time to be here this afternoon. Or this afternoon. Uh, we know the media and we know the public are anxious for resolution uh, to the missing person investigation. We know there are certainly more questions than answers, and we wish that we had those answers for you. Let me assure you that the investigators are working day and night to resolve this as quickly as possible. As with all major crime investigations, it is a delicate balance to provide the public with as much information about this investigation as possible without jeopardizing the investigation itself 
or any future potential court case. A thorough investigation is key to not only resolving this case, but also holding whoever is responsible for the disappearance of Nathan, Catherine, and Alvin accountable. Today, our officers, along with our partners at the RCMP, are once again searching a rural property outside of Airdrie in connection to this case. The search will continue until no stone has been left unturned. A truck was seized from this residence on the weekend, matching the description of a truck caught on CCTV in the Park Hill area. Investigators are still working to determine the relevance of the vehicle and confirm any connection to this investigation. An Amber Alert remains in effect as tips continue to come in from across Canada. And we continue to seek public assistance. I would like to hear from anyone who has any information regarding the whereabouts of Nathan O'Brien and Catherine and Alvin Lickness. I will take your questions now, but please know I'm unable to get into any investigative details or speak about the man who was taken in for questioning as he was released from custody and has not been charged in relation to this particular investigation. So is this still considered a missing person investigation? It is still considered a missing person investigation. At what point do you decide to call off the Amber, Amber Alert? Well, that'll be an investigative decision uh, based on the number of tips that are still coming in and information that we're receiving. So at this point, we are still receiving tips uh, from the Amber Alert. So we will remain or have that remain in effect until such time as that uh, information is no longer coming in and then the investigators will determine if they're going to uh, pull that amber alert. Are you, you still hopeful, hopeful that they're alive? Absolutely. What gives you that indication? We have no indication whatsoever to, to uh, indicate anything other than that. So our investigation continues. We have probably close to 100 people still involved in this investigation will continue to put the resources we need to uh, into this investigation. And at this point, uh, there's no indication otherwise, so we are hopeful that we will find them alive. What about the signs of violence in the house, though? Does that speak to a risk that they might not be here any longer? It's a concern, absolutely, but uh, there is no evidence at this point to indicate one way or the other, so we are going to remain hopeful. In terms of priority, how does this uh, case rank when it comes to uh, working on evidence? Does it get put in the queue or has this gone to the priority? No, we have, uh, we're working very closely with the crime lab and they are expediting um, the results for us. Are we any closer now to finding these people than we were a week? The investigation still moves forward. Um, there are a number of leads that we're still following up on, um, but I won't get into what we're doing, uh, what resources we have deployed specifically or what items we're following up on just to say that it is still moving forward and as more information comes in, uh, we will deploy what we need as far as resources. At least one person was likely injured in the violent altercation. Do you have any more details as far as whether or not there was more than one person injured at that moment? No, those are investigative uh, details that I won't get into. When Mr. Garland was in custody, was he helpful at all with this investigation? Um, he was cooperative, um, somewhat cooperative, but was cooperative. During the questioning, Garland says nothing. He's not uncooperative. He isn't cooperative either. He just is mostly just says nothing. On the morning of July 6th, Douglas Garland is released on bail, but he remains what the police call a person of interest, which we all know means possible suspect. 
But none of this was released to the media at the time. They just knew that they were questioning someone. He is under strict instructions to not return to his parents' Airdrie's property during the searches. Police continue to search the property that day into the evening and the next two days. The only thing they find at first is a smoldering barrel with ashes in it. After sifting through the ashes, they find a baby tooth, burnt flesh, and a lot of tiny bone fragments. Still not enough to determine that all three of them are dead, but it isn't looking good. On July 12th, search teams return to the Lickness's Park Hill home for another sweep of the property. Officers are then staked out to ensure that Douglas does not return and try to get rid of any evidence. Early in the morning on the 13th or the 14th, now I can't know every detail, uh, Douglas is caught trying to sneak back onto the Airdrie property, which was being watched by helicopters as well. They, they cornered him and an officer told him, don't make this any worse than it already is. And he came out from behind some trees and bushes and laid down on the grass and they handcuffed him. Police come out and say that they will be laying murder charges in the case. It's been two weeks to the day of the disappearance of Nathan O'Brien and Catherine and Alvin Lickness. We have arrested a man in relation to what has been an extremely challenging and heart-wrenching investigation. At approximately 1.30 a.m. today, officers arrested a man in the Airdrie area. He is currently in custody and charges of two counts of first-degree murder and one count of second-degree murder are pending. Until he has seen a justice of the peace, I'm prohibited from releasing his identity. The Amber Alert in relation to this file has been discontinued. We know that this community has been anxious for answers to an investigation that has gripped this city for the last two weeks. There are still many questions left to be answered. However, due to charges before the courts, I can't release those details and the investigation continues. We wish to thank the public and the media for their assistance. We have had more than 900 tips come in. This level of public support and engagement has never been seen in previous investigations of this magnitude. I also like to acknowledge and thank more than the 200 officers, analysts, and investigators who have worked this file nonstop for the past two weeks. An investigation, as you will recall, this investigation started with very little information. This investigation, led by Staff Sergeant Anderson and Doug Anderson and his teams, of officers over in, in major crimes has been a painstaking investigation. It has been pursuing 900 tips plus investigative leads that have been forthcoming. Our forensic crime scenes unit has been absolutely meticulous in going over the scene and any, any piece of evidence that we have. This file has been built piece by piece by piece by piece. Somebody out there is thinking that there's one piece that's the smoking gun, one piece of information that has led to a break in the case. I'm here to tell you that this has been the compilation of an immense investigation. And during the course of this investigation, every day the investigators have met and discussed the information, the new information, the new leads, the new evidence, and assessed that information relative to this file. And I don't want anybody to lose sight of the fact 
that there was three people that were missing on day one. We have to assume that there's whatever that is, whatever the small likelihood is, that someone, somewhere, was keeping one of those people alive. So we will always err to the side of caution. So we meticulously, the officers involved, put this file together until yesterday afternoon in meeting with the, the Crown Prosecutor assigned to the case and in reviewing all the evidence in its entirety, the decision was reached that this is now a homicide investigation and that charges would be appropriate against an accused individual that will be named later. The preponderance of evidence is such that has led our investigators to believe that they are dead. Hence, two counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder. Yesterday, when they had their regular meeting to review the evidence and assess that evidence in consultation with the Crown, it was determined that it was clear at that point that this was no longer a missing persons investigation, this was a homicide investigation. Can you say he's being cooperative? I can't say. Do Chief, police uh, believe that these victims died right after they disappeared, or was there a lengthy period of time before they actually died? We are um, putting a very complex case before the courts, a very complex case before the courts. We are not going to get into pieces and parts of information that could at some point in time jeopardize this prosecution down the road. So today, I know there's lots of questions that people have, lots of questions that you have, lots of questions that people in the community have. The reality is we cannot release, we cannot go through those parts of evidence, those pieces of evidence that have led to the charge. Suffice to say that we and the Crown are satisfied that the preponderance of evidence we've collected in its entirety uh, supports the charges that will be laid later today. Okay, what I can explain to you is this. I can explain generally why first-degree murder charges are laid. First-degree murder charges are generally laid when you can show pre-intent. Pre Somebody form the intent. Chief, you've given and in second-degree murder charges, um, that pre-intent, the intent to commit the act, uh, may not be there. Insufficient grounds to justify a first-degree murder charge. First, uh, the first-degree murder charges will be laid uh, on the likenesses, the second degree on the child. Um, ultimately, what we want is we want to be able to find um, the bodies so that the family can have uh, the, the final closure on this. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. On July 15th at around 7 a.m., Douglas Garland is officially charged with first-degree murder in the deaths of Kathy and Alvin Lickness, and then second-degree murder in the death of the couple's five-year-old grandson, Nathan O'Brien. Now, the charges were later upgraded to all three counts of first-degree murder. Um, and I believe it had to do with the the finger or the handprint that was on the wall that it showed um, what they consider unlawful confinement, that he it was against his will. Or it could have been because um, he was later... Um, added to the plan to to be killed um, to eliminate a witness. That night, hundreds of Calgarians and people across Alberta released green balloons to honor Nathan O'Brien. So who is Douglas Garland? Patty Garland, his sister, did not have a good relationship with him and spilled the beans on him. Douglas and Patty Garland were the children of Doreen and Archie Garland. At the time of the Licknesses and Nathan's disappearance, Doreen was 83 and Archie was 86 and in pretty failing health. All three of them, though, agree that Douglas was a loner and a bitter man with no friends and no romantic attachments during his entire adult life. He was intelligent, though, and attended Camrose Lutheran College, getting a Bachelor's of Science, and was admitted to the University of Alberta's medical program. But he dropped out a couple of months later after he started due to some kind of breakdown. There's no additional information about that. Now, Doreen saw the Amber Alert go out regarding Nathan O'Brien and asked her son what he thought of it. The Licknesses and Nathan were, after all, kind of family to Douglas. Now, Patty had a great relationship with Kathy and Alvin and Jennifer and Rod. Douglas did not. When, so Dur- when Doreen asked him, he responded with, quote, I don't know. I don't want to talk about the Licknesses, end quote. Douglas seemed to really enjoy holding grudges. A large part of the issues between Patty and Douglas was his inability to let things go and his really suspicious nature about everyone. Over the Christmas holidays in 2013, Douglas was going on about how he was sure Alan had stolen his property and he was going to call the police. Now, he also had a grudge against Alvin, whom he had worked for briefly about six years prior. Him and Alvin were working on some kind of pump to be used in the oil and gas industry that got patented. The pump never went anywhere and Douglas was let go soon after the project was finished. He remained, though, really angry about this fact for years, feeling that Alvin had somehow screwed him over and patented for himself. Again, the pump the pump never made a dime. So it bothered Patty a lot that he just couldn't let things go and would rather natter on about them angrily. So after that, whenever she would visit, she barely spoke to Douglas. But... 
At the time that Douglas was arrested, there still were no bodies. So what was it that led the police to believe that not only were they dead, but that Garland had murdered all three of them? Well, as it turns out, the day after the disappearance, a mapping plane for the city of Airdrie happened to fly over the Garland's property, and it was flown by um, Paul Gignong. Now, mapping planes snap pictures in a series every three seconds in order to map stuff. According to the report that I read, it was several months after the three disappeared that the police reviewed, or that the pilot reviewed the photos and found this discovery, but I thought it was earlier than that. And would make sense that the police saying that they have reason to believe they were not alive would fit this particular finding. Um, But I'm not sure on that one. I will warn you, the photos have never been leaked, thankfully. They are technically part of the trial evidence, but Justice David Gates, who presided over the case, said that there would be, quote, dire consequences for leaking the photos. So I now I am going to describe them third hand as I have not seen them, but I've definitely been made aware of them. And I think that Bill Graveland of the Canadian Press's description of them will probably suffice here. He says that it appears that there is on the ground, laying face down, the headless torsos of two adults wearing adult diapers. And then a small figure in the grass next to them, which is, they believe, Nathan, um, right by where that burning barrel was. Fortunately, it sounds like Nathan's body was not headless. Gignong showed jurors a blow-up of three outbuildings on the south end of the property, taken at around 9.23 a.m. on July 1st, which was the day after Kathy and Alvin Lickness and Nathan disappeared from their home. Beside the building, there are the three victims. In the same photos, Gagnon was able to point out a person casting a shadow a little bit of a distance away. Now, he, was all, he also showed two images that he took the following morning of the exact same area. And in those photos, the three figures were gone. So that's terrible. Some of the other evidence presented at the trial and gathered from the many searches of the property included, and again, this is just some of the more interesting items, two meat hooks, a large hacksaw, an array of knives, a hard drive discovered hidden in the joists in the basement with 112 gigabytes of information on the drive, which included photos of Kathy Lickness, documents relating to Alvin Lickness's businesses and his address, fetish-type photos of adult baby diapering with some people in handcuffs and sexual positions, an autopsy manual, a folder called Gore with 87 photos of dead and dismembered people, 18 documents on killing or murder, a book called How to Kill Without Joy, the complete How to Kill book, a user and programming guide for a Schlange BE-356 lock, 
The hard drive didn't show anything about Nathan, but the prosecutor, Shane Parker, said that he, quote, tragically happened to be at the home that night and Garland incorporated him into his already meticulous research plan, end quote. They also found Google searches on Garland's computer for the Lickness's estate sale, Alvin Lickness, Catherine Lickness, and Catherine's phone number, amputation and autopsy tools, amputation retractor, force needed for concussion, lack of oxygen brain damage minutes, how to drill out a schlange lock, most painful torture, human dissection, bone grinder, blood stain pattern test, blood removal solution. They also found surveillance video showing Garland buying a number of items from Princess Otto in Calgary, including meat saw blades. In the basement, a set of prosthetic breasts and two long blonde women's wigs, racks of women's clothing in Garland's size, a collection of 89 pairs of men and women's shoes, all in Garland's size, an empty shoebox of size 13 Dr. Scholl brand tennis shoes, the style and size of which were matched to bloody footprints at the Lichtness' residence, boxes filled with weapons, handcuffs, some in child size, hacksaw blades, leather straps, bone saws, knives, guns, and a straitjacket. They found Kathy Lichtness' DNA on the meat hook, they found Alvin Lickness's and Nathan O'Brien's DNA on the meat saw. And they found DNA from all three victims on the outside of a pair of rubber boots. There was also a number of white biohazard suits, which they believed Garland was wearing the night of the attacks, as none of Garland's DNA was found at the house. And approximately 50 boxes of adult diapers. So police and prosecutors theorized what happened as Douglas Garland pleaded not guilty. At 3 a.m. on the morning of June 30th, which was a time picked specifically by Garland as the best time to break into someone's house based on his research, Garland used a drill to disable the lock on the Lickness's back door, also based on his research. Once in the house, he enters the Lickness's bedroom and bludgeons Alvin, then finds Kathy in the spare bedroom, curled up with little Nathan, and bludgeons her. However, forensic experts believe that all three of them were still alive when they were dragged against their will from their home and placed in the back of Garland's truck and covered with a sheet. He then drove them to the Garland property in Airdrie and where only our imaginations can conjure up what then transpired. Once they were dead, he cut them up and burned them in the barrel, leaving nothing but tiny little pieces and absolutely zero remorse for his crime. Bill Graveland, who attended the trial, said of Garland, quote, he sat through the first round of hearings and the second taking notes. We never heard a denial. We never heard an I'm sorry. 
After a five-week trial, a jury of Garland's peers found him guilty of three counts of first-degree murder. At the sentencing in February of 2017, the courtroom gallery applauded when Justice Gates sentenced Garland to three consecutive life sentences with no chance of parole for 75 years, meaning he would be guaranteed to die in prison. Justice Gates said, quote, It is difficult to conceive a more cunning, cruel, and horrific set of circumstances of assault, abduction, torture, and murder. The horror and the terror you visited on these three innocent people extends almost beyond the boundaries of human comprehension. The circumstances defy description. End quote. There were also no mitigating circumstances offered or supplied by the defense, and Garland offered no remorse, no regret. During the victim impact statements, Nathan's dad, Rod, said, quote, When I leave here today, my wife and I will only go home with two sons. Those who choose evil, they will get an eternity of evil. A life sentence on earth is nothing compared to what awaits you. I didn't even have enough of my son to bury. There was not enough left of him. End quote. Garland's lawyers appealed the decision of serving consecutive sentences rather than concurrent. They claimed that they were unconstitutional and cruel. The Alberta Court of Appeal upheld its decision in February of 2021, which was great news for us as Dustin Duthie was set to go to trial in April of 2021. So we were really hoping for him at that time to get more than the standard 25 years especially considering he was only 25 years old at the time of the crime. Shane Parker of the prosecution in the original case told the justice that each murder had a different element, warranting the consecutive terms of parole ineligibility. Alvin was killed out of revenge over the the six-year-plus grudge that Garland held against him for the this apparent slight and leaving his name off of a patent application for the oil field pump, which, again, never made any money. Kathy was added to Garland's plan at a later date when the killer became fixated on her, and her death had what they call a sexual element. And then, of course, sweet little Nathan was killed to eliminate any witnesses. So Shane said, Quote, each victim was apparently murdered for a slightly different purpose. You not only have death, you have torture and inhuman behavior. Now, his defense lawyer, Kim Ross, argued since all the killings occurred during a single criminal act, that consecutive terms of parole in ineligibility weren't warranted. But too bad, so sad, they were warranted and so they were upheld. You cannot tell me that this guy wouldn't have become a serial killer if he left if he was left unchecked. And from what I understand, they are still to this day looking into some past cases just to see if there's any connection there that he might have this might not have been his first case. Jennifer and Rod O'Brien have channeled their pain into the Nathan O'Brien Children's Foundation. The foundation supports nine local charities, including the Children's Cottage Society, Stevens Backpack Society, 
brown bagging for Calgary's kids, and even start. You can find in more information at Nathan nathanobrienfoundation.com and on Facebook, but I want you to hear about the foundation's creation from them directly. We, we still miss Nathan. We're trying to cope and, you know, get this foundation off the ground and keep keep the goodness of life and, and hope alive. You know, we have our children. Keeping in mind that, you know, Nathan's spirit is still alive and uh, he's going to guide us from here on in. Do some good work in this world and show that... Uh, we're ready to, to give back on a lifetime basis. Uh, an anonymous individual from the United States wanted to get involved and he was uh, deeply affected by Nate. He grew up so he has two brothers himself so he, he, he immediately relates. With the help of remarkable people this foundation is able to come about and it's like I said, a private children's foundation, so it's not actually um, a foundation that where we'll go in and raise money or do any fundraising. So it will just be gifting money, and that's the the mission is to you know follow Nathan's example of kindness and compassion and and do good for others. Nathan would be all over it because he he led the way in life. Um, he was always a very warm, outgoing individual. The reason we have such our best friends are in this bay is because of our son Nathan because he went and knocked on doors and got their kids out and they became his best friends which then their parents became our best friends and <laughs> and uh, so Nathan is still still living his spirit is still working it's just it's our new way of working with Nathan right we have we've lost access to his physical self but we're still going with Nathan so He's just going to hit more people now on a, on a deeper level. We kind of have some pillars that we believe are um, where we want to spend the money being sports, sports for kids that are underprivileged, maybe don't have opportunities that others do. So that's kind of one thing that we want to to um, include and then just kids' health and wellness altogether. So. It's changed and, uh, our lives, but it also has the opportunity to change our kids' lives. Change our kids' lives, and they get to keep Nathan in the present, in their minds, always, you know, helping other children in Nathan's name. Like, Nathan is not going away. Nathan will be a part of their lives each and every day, each and every year uh -huh. uh, from here on. And, and, you know, when they're adults, their children are going to know Nathan O'Brien. Like, it's, it's almost like gives us the purpose again you know like obviously our kids are a purpose for us to keep going but gives us somewhat of a purpose to keep going do something so it provides hope on certain days when when uh, when we need hope you know so just when when i say we have fully comprehended everything that's going on at the same time i'm very at peace with this becoming a lifelong endeavor for mm -hmm. us and as, as we get going in life, say, we're here to help and meet those individuals and say, this is what we can do. And that was the case, my kind of signature case of little Nathan O'Brien and Alvin and Kathy Lignus. Thanks everyone so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you.
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.